0: This is an RNZ podcast. Thalofa Lava and welcome to the best of First Up for Thursday the 3rd of June, call Katrina Battenahou. In today's pod, Vietnam vets who believe their chronic health problems are related to the toxic herbicide Agent Orange renew calls for compensation. And truck drivers are facing massive delays due to the damage caused by the floods, while some Cantabrians are still trying to get home five days on from the initial deluge. But first, Victorians will be living under lockdown for at least another week after the state recorded six new locally acquired COVID-19 infections, which has brought the outbreak number to 60 cases. The state's seven-day circuit breaker lockdown was due to end Wednesday night, but new cases mean lockdown will continue across Greater Melbourne with some changes to schools and movement. The New Zealand government will provide an update on the country's travel bubble arrangements with Victoria later today, Thursday. Our producer, Matthew Tunison, discussed the latest outbreak with Professor Nancy Baxter, who's the head of the School of Population and Global Health at the University of Melbourne.
1: I had predicted they were going to extend the lockdown yesterday just because the number of cases, you know, they just kept being consistent cases and some cases that didn't come from a known case, like they could figure out where it came from, but it wasn't, you know, a family member of a known case. Not that it's good that people are still getting COVID, but if it's somebody who is in isolation for the entire time they're infectious... Obviously, it's a lot less threat to the community. So They were still identifying people that had been in the community with infectious COVID-19. And so, so we're still at risk of spreading it further. So I knew that they were going to extend it. But I think the reason that they extended it for a full week is because you had someone that was found who had been infectious for about a week in Melbourne and had been for a bit of that time in New South Wales as well and, you know, been circulating in the community. Now, maybe that person hasn't spread it to too many people. We know that, you know, the entire family has it, uh, has COVID-19. So, obviously, there's been some spread, but we don't know how far it's spread into the community. So, maybe it hasn't spread to anyone else, and that would be good news. But I don't think you can, you kind of have to hope for the best and plan for the worst. And so, you know, you can you think that likely this person has spread it to more people in the community. So, it kind of puts us not really back to... The starting point, but it, it, this this was kind of a, a bit of a blow to to us all in terms of needing to extend our, our lockdown. Mm,
2: and I'm reading that one of these instances instances of uh, community transmission is thought to have occurred just when someone brushed past someone else in a shop. Is that that right?
1: Well, they're talking about uh, the number of transmissions with this particular variant that happened uh, with only brief encounters. Now, now listen, we we know that you don't need much to get COVID-19 and and that was with the original COVID 1.0. We saw one of the examples I like to give is the, the Baralla cluster which happened in in New South Wales in Sydney, uh, kind of over the Christmas time and it was a bottle shop. So a whole bunch of people got that from the bottle shop and you know I don't think these people were milling around the bottle shop for hours. They came in, they got their bottle, they left and they got COVID-19 in that setting. So You've always been able to get COVID-19 with fairly brief exposures. I think we kind of misunderstood the airborne nature of the virus and that, you know, the reason some people are super spreaders is they're just, they produce more virus and they're expelling more virus into the air. So they're more infectious that way. So if you're with someone like that, it doesn't take much, even with the original COVID. But we do know that these ones are more infectious. And so, you know, if you're exposed to someone, you're more likely to get it. And certainly this this variant that we have right now in in Melbourne seems much more infectious than the original, so you know it, it may be that even even briefer contacts than before may be associated with contracting covid nineteen but you know it 's not really anything different. This is an airborne highly contagious virus. it just may be a little bit more contagious now
2: all right, and are you and our authorities expecting? Many more people to become infectious before the, the, the curve starts going down again.
1: Well, I just looked at the new tier one sites, and you have things like a scouts group, a swimming club, music, looks like a music cl- class, or someone attended a faculty of music. So some of these are sites where, you know, there's certainly a potential for transmission. So I think with this new family who's had COVID and has been in, in the community, I would anticipate we'll see more cases. They're doing a great job of contact tracing, so hopefully we'll be able to kind of isolate people quickly. But, you know, these venues are from the 26th and things like that. So, you know, maybe that people have become infected and, you know, haven't known it and potentially have spread it. The good thing about it, though, is that, you know, we have been in lockdown for a while now. So if people have contracted COVID-19 from these new cases, they probably won't have very many contacts because they're living at home, not socializing. So there's a limit to how far it can spread. You know, usually say if you have 15 contacts a day and now you have four contacts a day, you can imagine how much that limits the spread if someone does get COVID-19. That's part of the reason for lockdown it isn't just to, to give the contact tracers time to catch up, but a big part of lockdown is stopping people from having a lot of contacts. So if they do have COVID and we don't know about it, They're just not going to give it to too many people.
0: Nancy Baxter, who's head of the School of Population and Global Health at the University of Melbourne. Vietnam veterans who believe their chronic health problems are related to the toxic herbicide Agent Orange are renewing calls for compensation as more and more veterans die. The Waitangi Tribunal is considering their call in the Military Veterans Gaupapa Inquiry. Many Vietnam veterans do not qualify for existing compensation because they do not have one of the five illnesses that the New Zealand government accepts as being caused by Agent Orange. Official documents show less than 3% of the 2,500 New Zealanders who served in Vietnam have received a payment so far. Claimant lawyer Moana Sinclair says the inquiry has been underway for more than five years and veterans are dying.
3: Some of them have not had children, you know from the exposure, they've become impotent. So they never had children. It's a big deal, I think, for a Maori man who gets to a certain age. No uri, no descendants. All of the Vietnam veterans that we act for have got the same sort of story, although it differs slightly in terms of how they deal with it or how they haven't been able to deal with it. So they've all been to Vietnam, they've all suffered the exposure to Agent Orange but their response is individual to them. Some close off and you know cut off and don't want to deal with it mm. and then you get very responsive claimants who will tell you everything that they can.
4: Why is the, this taking so long, so many years? Can you give some clarity on that?
3: the tribunal, the Waitangi Tribunal, it's well known, is under-resourced. And they're also ambitious, and it's a good thing to be ambitious for this tribunal. When it comes to kaupapa inquiries, they want to address them.
4: Have veterans passed on in the process? Is is there a fear that they will before they see any benefit from the inquiry?
3: Yes, they have. In fact, someone very close, to me has passed on already then that leaves his children to continue to fight if they can be bothered you know Mm. it all becomes kind of meaningless when you have to you know pass on the burden to your children Mm. and say you know take up the fight a lot of them don't want to and why would they it's painful you know to remember the fact that nothing has happened for a very long time very little was happening we set up this Waitangi Tribunal how long ago? <laughs> People are dying and still waiting and dying. You know, it's a, it's a slow thing. It's a slow death, if you like. It's hard to watch. It's hard to be a part of.
0: Ōtaki-based lawyer Moana Sinclair, Veterans Affairs, says there's not enough scientific evidence to prove many of the illnesses suffered by vets are related to Agent Orange. Truck drivers in Canterbury are facing massive delays because of a bridge damaged in the floods, forcing them to take a big detour inland in order to travel south of Ashburton. The Hakateri Bridge over the Ashburton River is now open to light vehicles, but more stress testing is needed to ensure it can support the weight of trucks that travel along the major supply route. Supermarkets have reported issues restocking their shelves due to the delays, and a further testing of the bridge on Thursday deems it unsafe for heavy vehicles, southern New Zealand could continue experiencing supply problems for some time. Our reporter Ella Stewart and cameraman Sam Rillstone made the drive from Christchurch to Timaru on Wednesday to see what the journey's like in the wake of the floods.
5: We left Christchurch for Timaru at 8.30 in the morning, a journey that normally takes around two and a half hours. Unable to travel straight through on State Highway 1 via Ashburton, heavy vehicles now have to head through Mount Hutt, Mayfield, Geraldine, and then Tamuka. It was at the Rakaia Gorge that the traffic started to back up, and at one stage, it took us about 40 minutes to move just 500 meters, stuck behind dozens of heavily laden trucks. When we finally got to Mayfield, we started meeting people still stranded by the floods. Penny France and her family live locally in Mayfield and work as sheep and beef farmers. She says the last couple of days have been pretty
6: crazy. We were well prepared. We had lots of heads up from Met Service and forecasters, so we spent probably the whole week, really, the whole last of last work week with the crew that work at home and my husband getting ready for it. So shifting stock, making sure everything's really well fed in the lead-up to it. Uh, yeah, just any electric fences near waterways were pulled down and cattle, especially up high and sheep. And then, yeah, within well Friday we just braced for it. Saturday it really started to come in. Heaps of flooding, rivers all rising... And then my husband Nick was up for most of Friday and Saturday night just monitoring river levels, monitoring stock, and looking after everything best we can. And we're pretty stoked with how we've come through because we haven't lost any animals. They've been trying unsuccessfully to get to Christchurch for the past three days.
5: Today, they're finally hitting the road.
6: We've been trying to get kids back to boarding school. There's, uh, so there's three, well, kids from three different families, and I'm going to attempt to get them back now. So you're the the big mum boss lady that's driving all the kids back. Yeah, yeah. I'll be making sure they're not cheeky in the back seat on the way too. So we're going to try to go the inland scenic route and through there and see what happens. I'm told it's busy. A lot of trucks from what I'm told and trucks going fast trying to get supplies around which is understandable but I think I'll just be cruising because I've got precious cargo. Christchurch couple Elizabeth Rayner
5: and Gary Turner have been trying to get home every day since Monday but have found it too dangerous to get out of Timaru.
4: It's a bit frustrating each day because um, the first night we got um, we got to the Tamuka Bridge which was closed and then took a, a rural road left and slammed into mountains of water and it was incredibly scary and I said nope. No more driving in the dark where we can't see the water. It was really scary and very wet and um, so each night we're not quite sure what our situation is going to be the next day. So there's that uncertainty but once we make the decision in the morning then we can go and do something with our day which has been okay. They say the communication about road closures have not been very clear.
7: It's like Hines is closed but if you say take me from Timaru to Christchurch it goes straight through Hines.
4: The websites, because we've got different websites we have to look at. The Ashburton District Council, the Waka Kotahi, and I've been looking at the AA one. And they're all slightly different, and you don't know if they're updated or not. So it's been a bit of a nightmare.
5: Across the still rushing Rangitata River, over in Geraldine, the owner of the running Duck Cafe, Alistair Bollard, says supplies are running low at supermarkets and because of a boil notice, they haven't been able to serve coffee.
7: Well, um, it's started to clear up now, but it's been kind of drab and dreary with people looking a little bit sort of lost and a bit sad. Yeah, we've had a lot of people who've been stuck in the area coming in. Um, we've, we've also had a boil water notice that um, meant that we couldn't serve coffee coffee through the coffee machine. We've just got that sorted out now, which is... Cheering people up, because, yeah, that was a bit of a downer for them. Um, It's been slow, and um, we've had an early day yesterday, but it seems to be coming right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a lot of people helping each other, you know. It's been quite good in the community, Uh, on the the Facebook groups. You've had people offering help and... um, you know, there's been a lot of evacuations of farms and stuff around here, which is pretty traumatic for people.
5: Like all businesses in the area, he hopes the supply holdup won't last much longer.
7: Getting supplies in is probably the main thing. Yeah. Supermarkets kind of cleaned out. The supermarkets in Timaru are getting cleaned out, and um, I don't know. It's it's a long trek for people to get supplies here. So there was a lot of panic buying yesterday. I think. People thought that they weren't going to get stuff for a few days.
5: We also came across farmer Dean Harris, who says the last couple of days have been like a nightmare.
2: Just trying to keep the stock in the property, no fences left. It's just taking fences out that I've never seen. Where we live, we've been up there 15 years and we've never had a flood like this.
5: His parents were badly affected.
2: Yeah, although my mother, she's in a wheelchair and they got airlifted or taken out by army at 11 o'clock on Sunday night.
5: So it's been quite
2: an um, anxious couple of days. It has been, yep. Yeah. So they're keen to get home. So I've told them if they want to come home, I'll, I'll get them home somewhere.
5: While we had a lot of stops along the way, when we arrived in Timaru last night, we worked out that we'd been driving for more than five hours.
0: Ella Stewart reporting. The clean-up is well underway throughout Canterbury after last weekend's epic rainfall and subsequent flooding. Our host Nathan Rarere asked the Deputy Prime Minister Grant Robertson whether the region can expect any further government help on top of the half a million dollars already opened for affected farmers.
2: What happens now is really that money's just to get the cleanup going. And then once we're a bit clearer about the exact impact, then other types of support can come into line. And obviously it's been a you know hugely distressing time for everybody down there, particularly for the farmers. Um, they've been dealing with a drought, ironically, and now this has arrived and uh you know, very, very difficult time. So we've got people on the ground working closely with people like the Rural Support Trust, Federated Farmers, other local community groups, and we're just getting an assessment of what support's needed, and then, yeah, we'll be working alongside those communities to to deliver what we can.
8: I guess the good news is that the torrential rains have stopped, so there's a bit of a chance of that coming away, but it, I guess it gives you a chance to have a look at some of the things, and, and infrastructure's interesting, right? Like um the the supply chains to the lower south island as far as you know supermarkets and stuff when obviously they were missing out on things do we need to improve the resilience of of our infrastructure
2: well, undoubtedly right across new zealand you know we unfortunately over many decades have underinvested in infrastructure and you know we put huge amounts of resources in from a central government level. A budget I announced the other day has got $57 billion of infrastructure spending over the next five years. Local government has been pouring money in in recent times too, but unfortunately right around the country we are playing catch up. So it's just one of those realities. As it happens you get events like this and they're so extreme that they would undermine pretty much any infrastructure you had. Uh, We've got teams down there now, in fact I was just speaking to the Minister of Transport uh, uh, last evening about the work that what Waka is doing around stress testing on the bridge, making sure that we can get things back up and running, making sure those alternative routes are available and as as open as they possibly can be. So, look, we've got a long programme of infrastructure work ahead um, and resilience is the goal and the aim, but when something extreme like this happens, um, you've just got to make sure we, we do our best to support those supply chains to stay open.
8: And I suppose with that bridge too, you know, um... The one in Ashburton, uh, which I think it might cut off the entire South Island there. I mean, that as you said, it doesn't look like it would um, withstand an earthquake or something. But is there a chance with the engineers or whatever, you guys go and have a look and say, well, we could redesign something differently for future? Or is it more of a patch up what's there right now?
2: I think it's a bit of both. Um, initially, we've just got to get the bridge operating in such a way that we can see um, vehicles move backwards and forwards. We've had light vehicles go over, um, assessments are being made around heavy vehicles and so there will be some some interim and remedial works. Medium and long term sure, you know, let's let's have a look and see what's possible and what's needed. Right around the country as I say we've got big infrastructure and needs but obviously this is a critical arterial route, particularly down, you know, getting goods and services flowing backwards and forwards between um, the southern parts of the country. So clearly we'll get alongside the local community and see what needs to be done
8: I mean it's nice that we don't have a pandemic here at the moment to deal with but oh, man so many stories this week of different countries grant that pop up like Cambodia story or Peru or other places so there's other waves coming of COVID and stuff I see Melbourne have extended their lockdown for seven days should we
2: just suspend the, the whole travel bubble for all of Australia do you think Oh, no, I don't necessarily think that's uh, what we'll be looking at. I mean, the you know, other states in Australia have put in place various restrictions as well, and so we'll continue to assess this on a state-by-state basis. Uh, we'll be getting advice from the Ministry of Health later today on their advice on what should happen with the travel bubble, and, and we'll listen to that carefully, as we always do. Um, obviously, you know, our heart goes out to people in Melbourne. I mean, they of everybody really in Australasia have had the most time in, in periods of lockdown and, and another seven days now on top of what they've done will be very challenging for people. But similarly, they have got through this in the past and they've done it by by taking these lockdown measures. So we'll keep a, a close eye out for the advice that we get and obviously for New Zealanders who are in Melbourne, um, we'll be seeking to give them as much information as possible after we get that health advice later today.
8: Is the border going to be open from January 22nd because the reason I want to ask that is that leader of the op- uh sorry sorry uh, 2022 in January because the reason I want to ask is that leader the leader of the opposition she's pointed out that your budget forecasts are based on that opening is she correct in that assumption yeah.
2: Well, the Treasury, when they do uh, their forecasts, create a number of models, they make a number of assumptions. So they've made an assumption about a progressive opening of the border uh, from the middle of this year, and and actually that's already happening with the Australian bubble, obviously, and we continue to talk to other countries around how we can safely open up uh, our border and and find ways of getting that people-to-people contact going. So actually the budget's predicated on that progressive opening, and obviously from 2022... Our goal is to have everyone vaccinated in New Zealand by the end of the year. Vaccination programmes are rolling out around the world and that'll give options for further opening up. But Treasury's assumptions aren't based on a particular government policy. They just have to create some scenarios. There are a lot of other things that factor into their scenarios and then in turn factor into what projections they make for the growth rate of the economy and so on. So no one thing dictates that and they are focused on The various countries in the world and how their COVID response is working, how our exports are going to roll, so forth and so on. So it's it's not a single factor like that. That's not quite how it works. And obviously we are moving to try and progressively open up the border as as, as they're predicting.
8: Yeah, but you see, by just saying that it's all based on the border opening in January 2022, that's a much better soundbite, Grant. It's, um, <laughs>
2: yeah, look, I get that, and it's, it's the, how it works and tweets that, and things. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not quite true though. That's the thing, which is possibly how it also works in <laughs> <and> tweets <laughs> yeah. as well.
0: Deputy Prime Minister Grant Robertson, thanks for listening to the best of First Up, Matewa.